Hey everyone, it's time again to crack open a cold one and talk real estate with Mike Ferrante from Century 21 Homestar and the 21 Mike team, based in Cleveland, Ohio. We are chatting about all things real estate, from agent training, real estate investing, buyer and seller tips, and more. It's free beer and real estate. The market's heating up again, and with a shortage of inventory, guess what's happening again? multiple offers. So whether you're an agent or a buyer, we're going to give you at least 10, I'm raising the bar, Tony, 10 tips on how to win in multiple offers. All right. I'm Mike Ferrante with Century 21 Homestar, 21 Mike team. And it's time for Tuesday training here with Tony Geraci. And the crowd goes wild. <laughs> I hear it. I got to get one of those like tracks. Yes. Like <laughs> I'll put, uh, I'll, I'll let you do that one. Okay. <laughs> So Tony, you heard the topic, you know, it's already heating up, you know, it's, it's April and as we expected, I know a lot of people were saying, oh, market's going to crash, prices are going to drop, but here we are again, prices are up, not hugely up like the last two years, but we still have a shortage of inventory. We have about 50 to 60% of what we're used to for inventory. So guess what's happening? You're getting beaten out in multiple offers again. Exactly. I'm hearing it every day. Every day. Is that, are you, are you seriously, Tony, you're hearing it every day or are you saying? Oh yeah. At least one perfect? or two agents there. I got them going up against multiples uh, or like an agent today. Uh, the people are taking a little bit longer time and they want an extension is our listing. And I said, well, should we extend them? I said, well, how, how fast did it sell? She goes, oh, well, we were got under contract like 30 days ago and there was multiple offers. I'm like, oh, put it back on the market then. You might get a higher bid. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so I'm, I'm hearing somewhere there's multiple offers being talked, someone's saying something, at least once a day. <laughs> yeah, so it's a thing. And of course, the question is, whether you're a buyer or an agent, how do you win in multiple offers? And I've, I've like I said, Tony, I've set the bar quite high. We're going to come up with at least 10 things that agents and buyers should be doing to win. Now I'll start with an easy one. Okay. I'm going to hit the ball off the tee here. And obviously we need to talk to our folks about price. Number one is price, you know, take it or leave it, but your, your buyers have to come in with a good price. Now there are ways to win. If you're not the highest bid or all things being equal, that's what we're going to talk about the rest of the stuff. Okay. But number one, you have to lead with price. If you're 10% or 5% below the highest offer, good luck, because it's probably not going to turn out well for you. So you have to be willing to pay a fair price for the house. Now, I'm not telling people overpay, please don't misconstrue me, but you have to know what market value is and market value is what someone's willing to pay for the property. So Tony, you, you know, we both know how to do market analyses and run numbers. Um, it's a tough conversation to have with a buyer. Any tips for you uh, from, from you on, for agents, how to talk to buyers about maybe bumping their offer up or, or getting them to a number that's comfortable for them, but high enough to win. Yeah. So uh, a couple of things I say, and uh, won't take up too much because I know we got 10 things to go through, but uh, one is uh, how long they plan on living in the house. If they go, this is my last house. And, and then we can't tell you what the value of your house is going to be 20 years from now, but just being uh, going five, $10,000 higher now is not going to affect your value 20 years from now. Uh, but the payment, how much, like you could talk to a mortgage company, how much 
each thousand in, in price, how much more you had to put in down payment and how much you, you have to put in you know, a monthly payment. And also, uh, if you don't have a, um, uh, a, uh, a clause in there about an appraisal gap, which I think one of your topic might be that, then you're always going to have that backup. If the appraisal comes in lower uh, and you can't, and they can't, you have no appraisal gap, then you could renegotiate that time. So hopefully that made a little bit of sense. For sure. All great points, Tony. The The bottom line is we need to get them to give the offer that's the mo- highest offer that's the that is still comfortable for them so a question i like to ask tony i'll say tony what if i called you tomorrow and told you you missed this house by a thousand dollars how would you feel and if, i like that it's perfect and and then so let's say it's 250 they are 250 that's my number and i say well what if you missed by a thousand would you wish you had gone 250 well yeah and then i keep on doing that well, what about two if i called you and told you if you had gone 252 would you feel like like that was too much. And at what point do you feel like, you know what, they can have it at that number? And can I throw in one more thing? Make sure you're having these conversations with all the decision makers, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Because we've had agents come back and say it's a couple and they had a conversation with one and then the other one got mad. Like we missed out of the house for a thousand. I didn't know. Why didn't you tell me that? Yeah. You know? So make sure you got all the decision makers on the same phone call or thread. Excellent. Excellent point. And follow it up in writing. Definitely sending, hey, per our conversation, this is what we're doing and get them to sign it, all that kind of, anyway. All right. So let's move on. Next thing, let's talk about contingencies. And this is going to include several of our 10, but obviously we don't want to necessarily give up all our contingencies, but there are ways to write them up where they're most acceptable to the seller. So while we never tell people don't have inspections, we just had multiple offers, Tony, and there was one that wanted 10 days for inspections and one that said they would do it in five. Now that was just one piece of the puzzle because the offers were very similar But the one that said, hey, we're going to be in and out. We want your house and we're going to get our inspections done in five days. That's appealing. You know, sellers are on pins and needles waiting for the inspection results, right? Exactly. Yeah, I I say contingencies are like butts. Do you ever say that when you explain to a seller, they're offering 250, but they want inspection but they want the furniture, but they want you to be out. They want 60 days to close on a, but it's every, but. So the more buts you have, the more chances of them going less. I want something with less buts. Does that make sense? I thought you were going a completely different direction with that, Tony. I'm glad it was what you just said, but that makes, but that makes a lot of sense. So another way to look at it. So let's say you have your inspections. Now, here's what not to do. Do not write inspections are for informational purposes only, because what does that mean? We actually had one a couple of years ago, Tony, where the buyer intended that to mean that they could either accept it or reject it, not ask for repairs. That's what they intended. But the seller, when the buyer backed out after inspection, said, well, wait a minute, you said inspections are for informational purposes only. That means you can't back out. And he says, that's not what I meant. Well, we all know how that turned out. So here's what I recommend. If you have a buyer who's willing to just either say yes or no, I'll take it or I won't, and promise the sellers, we're not going to ask for repairs, simply cross out that section. We all know there's three choices. Take it, leave it, or ask for repairs. If you cross out that section, it's crystal clear. Buyer will either accept or reject after inspections. We will not ask for repairs. That's a good one. Or put a limit, a cap on repairs. I've seen agents do this. 
we won't ask for any repairs unless it exceeds X number of thousand dollars. That also comforts a seller. Thoughts, Tony? Oh, definitely. Definitely. That's, uh, we've had that happen lots of times because it's unclear which way, but that's perfect advice. You cross out that whole section about that, then they can't use that. It's just you're getting inspection and move on. Yes. Same thing with the limit. Now, we all know that if you have a plumbing repair, you could probably find a plumber somewhere to write it up for $2,500 if you need it to be $2,000 or above. But still, it gives the seller some comfort level that you're not going to nitpick. It may, all things being equal, give you that leg up that you're looking for. Back to price for one second, because we've got about seven more we have to come up with in 12 minutes, Tony. Back to price for a second. We all tend to think in round numbers, Tony. So if the price is 250, well, we'll go 260. What I often like to do is say, well, you know, you're willing to go 260. Would you go 261? No, I wouldn't. Well, how about 260 and $100? Because what if someone else goes 260 and you're exactly tied? All things being equal, if I'm $100 higher, they may go with me, right? Right. So price is right rules. Exactly. I love <laughs> it. I, I love it. You just need to win by a little bit, all things being equal. Let's talk about appraisal gap. You know, all those butts that Tony was talking about. Uh, I'm going to think about that all day now, Tony. The, the fewer loopholes or, or risks we can have for the seller, the more comfortable they are. So one of the things we worry about, of course, when we raise the price is will the house appraise? So the appraisal gap is something that agents have come up with where they say, if the house doesn't appraise, the buyer's okay with that up to a set dollar amount. If you're writing appraisal gaps, as we call them, make sure there's a set dollar amount. So, hey, we're going to pay 260 and we still have an appraisal, but if the appraisal is short by $10,000 or less, we'll still proceed. Now, if it doesn't appraise by $20,000, then it's back open to negotiation. I think I explained that clearly. Tony, do you want to add on to that or clarify? Uh, just the only thing I'll add on is that just got to make sure that they have the loan officer's approval to do that. So buyers can say whatever they want, but then the loan officer goes, well, they don't have the funds to do that or two because of the loan they're getting. They can't come up with the money or the deplete their reserves or whatever. So when it's our listing, I would I say when they have an appraisal gap, just get I would like a letter from a loan officer or email verifying that they can do that financially. That's a great point, Tony. And speaking of contacting the loan officer, I just uh, taught an ethics class uh, last week, and I was reading in what I called the police blotter, you know, the list that the state sends out of the different violations. There was actually someone who was uh, cited, amongst other things, for contacting a loan officer without the client's approval. So I didn't research it much, but I'm thinking that uh, because of other things that happened, they got in trouble for it. So do make sure that you have the permission of the client, you know, whether you're the listing agent wanting to reach out to the buyer's lender, especially, or whatever, that you have the permission of the client to reach out to the uh, lender and get that sort of information. But great idea to check with the lender. So yeah, that's the... And not to go off topic, just want to say this real quick. If anybody has any questions, especially Central 21 Homes or Agents on handling buyers, agents, sellers, agents, contact your loan officers, call me. There's great different ways of handling that. Excellent. Thanks, Tony. Um, so that, that's the whole appraisal gap conversation. Make sure your people have the funds. Make sure it's clear with the loan officer, but that's a set dollar amount that the buyer is willing to risk that the house doesn't appraise by that amount. This podcast is brought to you by Mike Ferrante from Century 21 Homestar and the 21 Mike team. 
real estate agents serving all of Ohio. Whether you're looking to buy, sell, or you're an agent looking to partner with the number two team for Century 21 in the entire U.S., contact Mike via email at mike at 21mike.com. Okay, so we, we got some contingencies. Let's talk more about con- contingencies. What other contingencies can we reduce? Well, how do you think it looks, Tony, when the, the buyer checks all seven potential inspection options? You know, maybe it's time to just consider having a general inspection and maybe we use that other box in case anything looks fishy. But imagine how it looks to a seller if you say you're going to have every inspection in the book. Again, I'm never going to advocate for not doing inspections, but maybe you decide what's really important to you and just pick those inspections instead of checking every single box. Right, exactly. I, I push for the other to say anything that the general home inspector uh, deems necessary, something right. like that. Because you could always come back to it. You could always say, well, we weren't going to do a mold inspection, but hey, we found a mold-like substance in the attic and therefore we need to check it. So that's that's your loophole, guys. So instead of checking every single box, use that other box. Um, any other contingencies I'm forgetting about, Tony? I mean, there's some other things on the contract I want to talk about, but with relation to contingencies, we usually, the other big one is financing, closing dates, title company. So let's hit those three. I got three three ideas for you. If you're flexible, that sometimes is really appealing to a seller. So what if, instead of picking a date, what if you made it the seller choice? We'll close, instead of picking May 25th, Anytime between May 15th and June 15th, seller's choice. Not only does that show flexibility, but doesn't it also paint a picture of a flexible buyer and and smart agent that maybe I would like to work with? It's a good one, right? Also, a big one that's always been there uh, is possession date, uh, because some buyers or sellers don't want to feel pressure to get out the certain date. And they're like, wow, they're giving us you know, five, seven days for free, that type that's of That's right. And that's yeah, all market and different parts of the state's all different. Some uh, are, that's just custom to give seven days for free. Yeah. If you were reading my mind, Tony, that's the next thing. Just offer it up in the beginning. Hey, if the sellers need it, offer up seven days or two weeks or whatever. Keep in mind, if you're doing owner occupant financing, you have to move into the house within a certain number of days. Tony, is that 60 days? I think. I believe you're right. Yeah. So double check with the lender before you go offering a, a lengthy rent back period, whether it's free or paid, check with the lender because there's a certain number of days your owner occupants need to move into the house. Very, very important. Uh, another one is title company. You know, I know a lot of us are in affiliations. Forget that. Okay. A deal's a deal. You need the deal. What if you said title company of seller's choice? Again, another thing that we can give up that doesn't cost money, and yet it helps the buyer win when all things are equal or close to equal. Uh, what else do we have on the contract, Tony? Uh, another one is, is closing costs, right? Yeah, so you're asking for closing costs, yep. So try not to. Now, some people need it, and if you need it, you need it. You then try to maximize out all these other tips that we're giving you. But there's another idea, Tony, that we we didn't we thought of like later in the year during that two years that things got crazy. But if you have a buyer that does have cash, how about instead of going with a higher offer, 
you offer to do the reverse. Instead of the seller paying buyer costs, buyer pays seller costs. Why is that more appealing than going higher on the price? It, require, it doesn't require a higher appraisal. So what if you as a sell, buyer offer to pay some of the seller costs? We haven't seen this too much, Tony, but it's a brilliant strategy in my opinion. I agree. No, it can be done. Yep. Okay. So I think I haven't been counting, but I think we're up to about eight. So we just have to come up with a couple more to reach that threshold of 10, Tony. What else, what else do you have for us before I go to my list? No, continue to go on. <laughs> <laughs> I was just, I was, uh, I was stalling there. I thought maybe you had one that, that, oh, you well, would, that you'd throw yeah, in. No, all this stuff, again, just like I, I mentioned before is, is uh, whatever makes the people better for them. So you might have a seller, that example, you know, it's um, an estate, uh, people out there, there's a bunch of stuff in the house. You could say, hey, if it matters, I don't mind cleaning out the house. They can leave stuff. Sometimes people hate, you know, I got to, you know, hate to deal with getting all this stuff out. I remember when I bought my house, there was an old big screen TV in the basement. And uh, the guy said, you know, can I leave it there? And I said, oh, sure, I'll get it out. And I couldn't get it out. I had to rip that thing. I don't know how he got it down. It was terrible. I'm like, that was stupid. But again, it was, he wanted it as a seller. I said, ah, fine. So things like that, whatever makes the seller's life easier helps you. Yes. Now that leads me to another one. I know a lot of people give the advice, oh, talk to the listing agent to find out what is appealing to the, to the sellers. That's great advice. But look, guys, you know, I've got an agent on my team who's getting 20, 30 offers on a house and he's got 40 listings. If, if 20 or 30 people times 40 listings are calling him on a daily basis, he's not physically going to be able to get back to everyone. So I say, do it when, it, when you can. And if nothing else, try texting, try emailing, because you're not going to be able to have a phone conversation with every single listing agent on a property that you make an offer on. But sure, whenever you can, find out from the listing agent what terms are most appealing. And the way I would phrase that question, Tony, because everyone wants more money, say, hey, besides price, what else would really be appealing to your sellers? Possession, dates, rent back, you know, all these ideas. Try to pick their brain and find out what the sellers could really use. And, and you got to have a conversation with the other agent, if you can, verbally, because then you could find out from their mannerisms and the conversation if they even know, because they, they might not even know, like, oh, well, I don't even know. I didn't even ask the seller when they want possession. They might not even know, oh, yeah, they got all this stuff in the house. I don't even know how they're moving. Sometimes the, the listing agent does is not that knowledgeable exactly what the seller wants so you could hear that in them like uncertain so and then it could just be nice say hey can you check that out it might be important to them so if you could get them on the phone hopefully you can yep all right i've got another good one here that a lot of agents this is a this is a twofer a lot of agents probably don't think about this the obvious part is the pre-approval and proof of funds make sure you have them okay that's a no-brainer but what do we mostly do with our pre-approvals? Well, we're going to offer 255. Let's get a pre-approval for exactly that amount. And why do we do that? So as not to reveal our hand and say, oh, well, they could go higher. Well, you know what? In multiple offers, that's out the window. If they could, if they could afford 355, give a pre-approval that shows that number, not the 255. Show them how strong. Because again, all things being equal, put yourself in the seller's shoes. Well, geez, these guys only appear to be good for 255. This buyer could go to 400,000. Wow, they could really afford it. And secondly, the proof of funds. Same thing with the dollars. 
but how about a pre-approval and a proof of funds, Tony? If I'm putting down 20% because I've got $800,000 in the bank, why not provide that proof of funds as an item to show how strong a buyer you have? Again, all things being equal, that makes me look pretty strong, right? Yes, and also, uh, like you said, financing. Like example, sometimes VA FHA financing uh, is uh, putting some sellers or listing agents off. So uh, when you have a buyer, say, I, I use this example because I had an agent have this a couple months ago, a first-time home buyer. They were putting FHA, you know, three and a half percent down, very minimal. But they said, well, if needed, if that loan doesn't happen, the the parents will gift them 20% and they could go conventional. I go put that in the offer and you can write that in that they're going FHA, but they have a backup financing that makes it look better. So if you have three offers, all the exact FHA financing, like, this one might look better because they can go conventional and get a gift from their parents if needed, if something happened. I don't know if you've had that happen before. Great advice. No, I actually had the opposite happen where they didn't tell us that. And we went with another offer. And then after the fact, the agent came back and said, well, we would have done this. I'm like, well, you didn't tell us that. Well, we, we, we can't read your mind. Um, also, lenders, we know that the local lenders tend to be looked at as more reliable. If you're using Dewey, Cheatham, and Howe Mortgage Company, some online bank from Las Vegas, Nevada, someone I can't reach out to and talk to, that's a little tough some, sometimes. So encourage your buyers to use local lenders, at least for a pre-approval letter, even if they got to go with that lender in Las Vegas, hey, we can't tell them who they have to use, but explain the benefit of using a local lender. Yeah, that's a, that's a big one because I have agents that, you know, they get five offers and they're all the same. That lender, someone that, that we know or someone they know, we have to say that to our seller. We're not lying. We're just saying, hey, what do you think? Well, the only difference is lenders. I don't know this lender. I know these yeah. lenders. I've seen them in town. We could go to their office. We could see them. And, and that and might and, 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 and Tony, I'm going to throw a bank out there. I mean, this bank has a reputation. If I told you, well, these people are approved with third federal. Like, what do you think? No, that's usually very good. Yeah. yeah. At least you, but uh, not on, again, uh, my opinion, my experience, not on appraisals. If the appraisal comes in low, well, we've had this happen a few times, can't guarantee it's always going to happen. If it comes in low, there is no appraisal gap at third federal. If it comes in low, it comes in low, it's done. Well, that's our mm. experience. Don't know if that always happens. So. Yeah. Well, that's that that that's a great point. And of course, we have Kelly uh, Worthington, who's uh, here locally with Liberty Home Mortgage. You know, she's someone you can reach out to and reach, kind of like you, almost twenty four seven, right? So that's a huge, huge benefit. Now, the last thing I saved it for last on purpose because we're going to go into more depth on this. It's escalation clauses, and I'll explain it briefly. But tune in next week if you want to hear more about these and you know my thoughts on them. Certainly, when they work. You can reach around like this and pat yourself on the back and say, I'm so smart. We did an escalation clause and we won. But what an escalation clause is, you give a price and then an increment above which you will go if someone presents a higher offer. So I might say, hey, we're going to go 250 list price, but we'll go up to 270 and we'll beat your best offer by $1,000. First of all, the expression I say is it's like playing poker with your cards face up on the table. Hey, if you have the best hand, there's no harm. But the problem is you're revealing what you have in your pocket 
to everybody. Okay. So I, I'm not a huge fan of escalation clauses, as you can tell. The second part of the escalation clause is that they can also come across kind of disingenuous. And what do I mean by that? Well, Tony, um, my buyers want to offer 250, but you know, they don't really want to pay more than they have to. They would go to 270, but you know, they don't want to give you too much money if they don't have to. So you have to show us your best offer and then we'll beat that by a thousand dollars. I mean, I know I'm saying that for effect to make it sound kind of cheesy, but sometimes that's how they come across. And a and they a, a seller may look at it and go, well, geez, these people came in with a good strong offer that's right near their escalation clause. Maybe we'll just go back to them and see if they'll match the, the you know, hey, we'll go back. Hey, will, will you guys do two seventy? Great, we're gonna go with you because these guys use this document that we don't like. Exactly. And the one thing that I stress to agents, a lot of agents don't know this, is that offers are not confidential. So if you have an escalation, if someone has an escalation clause going up to 270 and there's another offer at 265, they could, you, the listing agent could go, oh, this, this is escalation clause at 270. I'll, I like this other offer. Hey, just call up the other offer. Say, we got one at 270. Will you go 270? Let's write it up. Done. It's not confidential. So sometimes those escalation clauses are confusing. And one, you know, I know we're going to talk about this next week, but uh, the amount of times I haven't seen as many recently, but gosh, a year or two ago, I was I would sit there with an agent. They would email me ten escalation clauses, and we would have to try to figure out the math because yeah. all of them are different. They look different. They're this up by five hundred, but does it go by the low number? Does it go by? And then then I'm just like, forget just forget all of them. Go with the one that doesn't have the escalation clause. Yeah. So it's another yeah. contingency. It's another but. Yep. It's another, but I love it, Tony. All right. So we'll, we'll explain that in more depth next week. Join us for that. Um, I didn't throw out our contact information in the beginning because uh, I got off track, but if you want to reach me, it's Mike at 21 mike.com. You can hit up Tony on his cell phone, 216-374-1269. We'll have all that information below too. And by the way, guys, we're so close to a thousand on YouTube. If you are the thousandth subscriber, we're going to give you a fabulous prize. So keep watching that. I'm just kidding. We don't have a prize for you. I have no way of tracking that. But uh, please consider subscribing to our YouTube channel. And you all get fabulous prizes, just like Oprah. Everybody. <laughs> that's right. You get a Cadillac. You get a new car. All right, Tony, that's all we have for today. Join us next week for Escalation Causes. Thanks for being here. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed free beer and real estate from Century 21 Homestar and the 21 Mike team. Please subscribe to our podcast and find us on YouTube by searching for Mike Ferrante, Cleveland Realtor. You will find videos, training, and even recipes from 21 Mike's Vegan Kitchen.